Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by Beam. Get ready for the ultimate cozy winter night in, brought to you by Beam. Beam is a functional wellness brand that makes CBD products to help you pursue your better and push the boundaries of what's possible. For a limited time only, Beam's best-selling sleep product, Dream Powder Hot Cocoa, now comes in delicious white chocolate peppermint. Swirls of peppermint mixed in with creamy white chocolate for a guilt-free hot cocoa of your holiday dreams. It's the perfect winter wind down for those cold, snowy nights. It's triple lab tested and contains the ultimate sleep-promoting ingredients, nano-CBD, reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, and melatonin plus no added sugar or artificial sweeteners. Curl up with a cup of white chocolate peppermint dream right before bedtime and you will get your best sleep ever. I have struggled with sleep for a very long time and let me tell you that Beam's dream powder has helped me relax my busy mind and let me get some of the best night's sleep I have had in a very long time. White chocolate peppermint dream powder only lasts for a limited time. So get it while it's hot. Great news. If you subscribe now, you can also take advantage of Beam's best sale of the year for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. You'll get 40% off the first three months of a Peppermint Dream subscription, plus a free mug and frother or 20% off a one-time purchase. Again, this is Beam's biggest offer of the year. And just like its new flavor, it won't last long. Head over to beamorganics.com slash mcom. That's B-E-A-M-Organics.com slash M-C-O-M for 40% off the first three months of a Peppermint Dream subscription plus free mug and frother or 20% off the one-time purchase. Pause or cancel anytime. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. Scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Cup of murder. It's incredibly interesting finding out what small, seemingly inconsequential piece of evidence can break open even the most cold of cases. On November 9th, 1976, a young girl was murdered and left in a cornfield, only to have her case grow cold for about 35 years. And though her murderer has yet to be found, it took the smallest, most microscopic evidence and some web sleuthing to at least find out one very important piece of information, her identity. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. 
In the early morning hours of November 10th, 1979, a farmer in Caledonia, New York, saw a piece of red clothing in one of his cornfields that ran near the Genesee River. Wondering what it was and believing he had just caught a trespassing hunter, he went over to investigate only to find the remains of a young woman. He called the police and they descended upon his farm. The body was of a young woman who was found fully clothed, suffering from one gunshot to the head over her right eye and another to the back. The wound on her head indicated that she had not turned nor flinched when the bullet made its initial impact, leading investigators to surmise that she was taken completely by surprise by her attacker. She exhibited no signs of sexual assault. With nothing on her body to help with identification, the girl was quickly named Caledonia Jane Doe or Callie Doe. After a more intensive autopsy, the medical examiner ruled that Callie Doe was likely shot in the head while next to the road that bordered the cornfield, a fact that was backed up when police found what appeared to be a spot of blood found on the ground. She was then dragged into the cornfield, shot a second time, and left for dead. She was likely between the ages of 13 and 19, was about 5 foot 3 and 120 pounds, had light brown hair that had been dyed, and brown eyes. But because of the heavy rain that fell on the night of her death, most of the physical evidence was washed away from her body. With no identity and very little evidence, the investigation hit a dead end before it ever really took off. As her case started to descend into the dark hole of cold cases, John York, who had been one of the Livingston County deputy sheriffs who responded to the scene in 1979, became the elected sheriff and served the job until 2013, ensuring all along the way that Callie Doe's case would remain active. Working with the few leads they had, police looked into her stomach contents and were able to determine that her last meal was more than likely eaten in a diner in nearby Lima. When asked, a waitress there claimed to have seen a young girl matching Callie Doe's description eating with an adult male. In addition to the meal, her body, post-exhumation, offered another tidbit about her location prior to her murder. With newer technology, investigators were able to use isotype analysis and, with the composition of her teeth, place her in the south-southwest region of the United States for a large portion of her early years. Then there was the windbreaker she was wearing. Realizing it was a men's windbreaker and more than likely borrowed, police looked into its origin and found that it belonged to Auto Sports Products, who produced the red and black jacket as a one-time promotional item. Unfortunately, it could not be traced after distribution. In addition to her clothing and turquoise jewelry, Callie Doe had two metal keychains attached to the front of her belt loops. One was in the shape of a heart with a key cut out inscribed, He who holds the key can open my heart and the other was the matching key. When looked into, investigators were able to determine that the keychains were likely bought from a vending machine along the New York State Thruway, leading to the theory that she and her killer traveled that route. In 2006, a recently hired investigator at the Monroe County Medical Examiner's Office, named Paul Chambers, asked and received permission to send off Callie Doe's clothing to a lab at Texas A.M. University, hoping that they could find traces that could lead to a breakthrough. Among the pollen found on her clothing were grains from the casuarina, oak, spruce, and birch tree that, when compared to a control group taken from the area where her body was found, reaped some interesting pieces of information. The type of oak found on her body grew all over the United States, and both the spruce and birch grew throughout the New York area, 
but nowhere nearby were all of those grains present at one time, and neither the spruce nor the birch were found near her dump site. In fact, the type of pollen found on her body actually came from a species that was more common in the mountainous areas of California. And that casuarina sample was actually an invasive genus of tree that grows in a limited number of places like South Texas, Mexico, the campuses of the University of Arizona and Arizona State University, three regions of California, and South Florida. A tree that cannot survive the winter months of New York, where Cali Doe would eventually end up. With all of this, researchers gave what they believed was a pretty good timeline of the last few months of her life. They believed that, given the pollen and her visible tan lines, Callie Doe likely had been living in the southwestern United States near San Diego, traveled through the Sierra Nevada mountains, passed through Reno, and traveled across the country to upstate New York. A re-examination in 2012 confirmed these findings. Given this information, the investigators' willingness to continually update the case when technology advanced, and a web sleuth, Callie Doe was formally identified on January 26, 2015, after 35 years as a Jane Doe. Her name was Tammy Jo Alexander, and she had run away from her home in Brooksville, Florida in early 1979. Tammy Jo Alexander, born November 2, 1963 in Atlanta, Georgia, attended high school in Brooksville, Florida. According to Pamela Dyson, her half-sister, Tammy grew up in a turbulent household and, after the age of 11, was being raised by her paternal grandmother. With an absent father, a mother who was addicted to prescription medication and considered suicidal, Tammy struggled to try and make the best out of a pretty bad situation. When she was a teenager, she joined her mother working as a waitress at a local truck stop and, from that moment on, developed quite the history of running away from her rocky home life. According to a friend named Laurel Noel, Tammy was known to get where she needed to go by hitchhiking with some truckers. And on one occasion, they traveled all the way to California together just by hopping a ride from here to there. When they got there, Laurel called her parents and they bought both girls airline tickets back to Florida. Up until her identification in 2015, everyone believed 16-year-old Tammy had run off one last time and made a life for herself away from her mother and stepfather. Her sister pictured her in a happy house with a husband and small children. When their mother died in 1998, Tammy was listed as deceased in her obituary. Her sister Pamela had no idea how prolific their mother's obituary really was. In the 2010s, Laurel Noel tried to locate her friend on social media and eventually reached out to her sister Pamela. Together, the women started to realize that maybe their dreams of Tammy's fresh start were simply that dreams. According to Pamela, she believed her mother reported Tammy missing soon after she had ran away. But given her history, it's likely the police did not take the report seriously. So in August of 2014, when she found out that the report was still not on file, she went ahead and did so herself. While all of this was happening, a man named Carl Keppelman, a California artist, came across Callie Doe's story as a moderator of the Web Sleuths community and decided to sketch a portrait of Caledonia Jane Doe and post it to the National Missing and Unidentified Person System. In September of 2014, a month after officially being reported missing, Carl happened upon her report and quickly realized she must be the woman he sketched four years before. He emailed the Livingston County Sheriff's Office 
They were connected to Pamela Dyson and, with her DNA, confirmed Tammy's identity. The family decided to keep Tammy's body in the state that helped solve her case and were finally able to replace her Jane Doe headstone with one bearing her real name. With her identity secured, the sheriff's department moved on to the next step, finding out who killed the teenage runaway. Knowing she was last seen with a white man wearing wire rim glasses and driving a station wagon, police started digging in more deeply into the unsolved murder. More than 10,000 leads were looked into over the course of the investigation, one of which was from famed serial confessor Henry Lee Lucas. Though, like most of his claims, there is no sufficient evidence connecting him to Tammy's murder. As suspects came and went, one of which was a man named Christopher Wilder, who was known for his killing spree in the 1980s, but died before he could be questioned, police made attempts to match the spent bullet found at the scene and trace the weapon. Nothing has panned out. Tips came in, a billboard was erected with details about her murder, and at one point, a trucker from Tennessee reported what police said was a, quote, significant lead after hearing about the case on the radio. By early 2016, police identified three persons of interest and tested their DNA against the small samples they had taken from her clothing. None were a match. To this day, police received tips about Tammy's case and her murderer. None have led to any arrests. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear a terrible thing happened on November 10th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.